All right, let's go and turn turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 20. For those of you that are new to Sovereign Grace, we're presently in a series on the Gospel of Luke. And this is a gospel that has been written by a doctor called Luke. He's a physician and he's busy compiling a narrative on all the things of Jesus. He's become a Christian and Theophilus has sponsored him, a governor himself, to really discover who is this Jesus and what does it all mean and what does it mean to follow him. We want to have certainty concerning the things of Jesus. So Dr. Luke puts that together and the letter is what you have in front of us this morning. It's obviously not just for Theophilus, it's for us as well that we can learn what it really means to follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And so we're going to read together from chapter 20 verse 45. We're going to give ourselves to 21 verses 1 through 4. But to understand context, we're going to start reading in verse 45 of chapter 20. And this is the word of the Lord. And in hearing, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up. And saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Call this message a compelling display of devotion. Now, why don't we pray and ask the Lord for his help. Lord, we just come to you now. And Father, we do ask for your help as the preaching of your word goes forward. Lord, you guarantee that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword and brings us alive. I pray that we're fresh to come alive in this topic today. Lord, as we see the example of this dear poor widow, would our lives be affected as a result? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are some moments in life that as I consider them, it is very easy to be misunderstood. And given the amount of words that comes out of pastors and preachers' mouths, I'm aware that we can be misunderstood more than the most. A couple of years ago when I was in the Philippines, I was with a lady. We were all together having lunch. And I asked this lady, because she actually leads an orphanage in the Philippines, I asked this lady, so what does your average week look like? And she looked at me really strange and said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, what does your average week look like? She said, I have never been asked that before. I said, really? And she said, no, but I suppose, yeah, I'll explain to you. And well, I've never been asked it, but to be honest, it really depends what exactly I'm eating, whether it's potatoes or chips Um, or chicken, I suppose, or rice, it really depends. And I am immediately aware, she thinks I said weight. What does your average weight look like? Now, any normal person at this point in time just says, oh no, I didn't mean weight, I meant weak. Any normal person does that, but not me. I just sit there going, 
I am like a rabbit in headlights. She is convinced, she's discussing with me that she puts on weight depending on what she's eating. She loses weight depending on what she's eating. It is the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. A normal person says, no, stop, I meant weak, but not me. I just stand there listening away. And she gets to the end of this like five minute speech on her weight gain and loss. And at the end, she says, I've never been asked that before. And I said, oh, really? Well, anyway, how are the kids? You know, I just, I try to be really clear from here on in. When you travel overseas, there is always a danger that somebody does not understand what you are saying and misunderstands. I'm going to have to grow in stopping people where they've misunderstood, particularly on issues like that. And yet as a pastor, I think another area where you can so easily be misunderstood is when you start talking about money in the context of the local church. I think that's another moment where we can so easily misunderstand. I'm aware that we just had an Equip for Life night this week on money. And so, the, you know, when we address our hearts that we so often think of as a nice grandmother but is actually Vinnie, the used car salesman, we start to ask ourselves some questions here, don't we, in terms of why are they always talking about money? Why is money an issue? I wonder whether money is a challenge in this church. I wonder if they're starting to run out of money and that's why they need to keep teaching on money. Is that what is going on here? We can so easily misunderstand, can't we? And so just to be very crystal clear, I'd want you to understand that we are not talking about money again this morning because the church is struggling financially. The church financially is doing better than it has ever done in its 12 years of existence. We just had last month the most giving we've ever had in our history in a month. The Lord is blessing us financially, so I want you to remove from your mind now any sense that something is going on here to try and get more money. That is not the case. The reason why we're preaching on this this morning is because we preach expositarily through God's word. That's why we do it. We don't just pick and choose what we're going to preach on at different times. Brendan and I spend time before the Lord. We start to understand what is it that he wants to put on our heart in terms of books of the Bible. Give us the gospel, Luke, and then we start to preach through it. We are bound by what it says, not by what we would like to talk about or not like to talk about. We just preach through the Bible and the Lord, I believe, does his work. And one of the things you discover as you examine the gospel of Luke is that as we take our cross and follow Jesus, something he talks about in Luke chapter 9, that inevitably involves our money as well, doesn't it? It involves our finances. And they're not my words, they're Jesus' words all the way through this book. As having instructed us to take up our cross and follow him, in Luke chapter 12, we have the parable of the rich fool. Do you remember that? The parable of this guy who thinks that everything I have is mine. I earned it. I provided it for myself, so I'm going to build a bigger barn for myself, and I'm going to relax, and I'm going to eat and drink, and be merry, I'm going to get old, and I'm going to retire and enjoy all my produce. And yet Jesus says, you're crazy because today your life is going to be taken away from you. And this man's life falls apart because he forgets to recognize this is all the Lord's and is to be used for his glory. We see the same thing emphasized in Luke chapter 16 twice with the parable of the dishonest manager and then the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus takes the time to help us understand don't store up yourselves treasures here on earth. 
where rust and moth destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he explains to them, everything that you have is the Lord's. You're not owners of anything. You're his stewards. You're his money managers to be used for his glory. And one day he will reward you for it. Then we get to Luke chapter 18 and we see the tragedy of the rich young ruler. This young man who is loaded and comes to Jesus because he wants to follow Jesus. Hey, I'm all in. I just want to follow you. And Jesus calls him out, says, listen, if you want to follow me, then I've got to be your greatest treasure. Your treasure can't be your stuff. So go away and sell all that the Lord has provided for you. Just give it away and come and follow me. And he can't. Because his greatest treasure isn't Jesus. His greatest treasure is his stuff. And so if you're making me give up my stuff, I choose my stuff and not you. It's such a tragedy. But Jesus calls him out, explaining to him, if you're going to follow me as Lord and Savior, that's what it means. It means being all in for me. And then we see a counterexample to that in Luke chapter 19 of the testimony of Zacchaeus. A man who is all in for Jesus. He has a lot of stuff. But then he encounters Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he isn't bothered about his stuff anymore. You can take it all. And he starts to be super generous with people. Everybody would know him as a crook in the city. But everybody becomes his friend as he starts to pay them back fourfold. And starts to give half of his goods away to the poor. He just wants to bless people because the greatest thing in his life now is not his treasures. It's Jesus himself. All the way through this book then, there has been a theme that as we take up our cross and follow Jesus, we can't compartmentalize our lives. That means all of our life, our time, our energy, and indeed our finances as well. But here in Luke chapter 21, it's clear that Jesus has kept the best for last. This is the last time he hits on the topic of money and treasure. And what we have here, I believe, is a wonderful and compelling display of devotion that pleases the Savior. A wonderful and compelling example of somebody who's just all in for Jesus, who loves him and trusts him and just wants to give it all to him. And Jesus sets this dear old lady up as an example because there's things he wants us to learn from her. See, this has already been a long day in the life of Jesus, as you know. On this given day, he's already been arguing with the Pharisees. He's already been arguing with the scribes. He's already been arguing with the Sadducees. They're all trying to throw him under the bus. And yet again, they've discovered you are amazing and we are not. It's been a long day for Jesus. But as he pulls away, he sits with his disciples. He sits down opposite the temple treasury. The treasury is the place where everybody gives up their tithes and offerings to the Lord. They would basically have different horns, inverted horns, that would be put on a on a, a plinth, and you'd be able to put your money in the top, and then it would jingle it to the bottom, and that's how the temple was displayed. I've often thought about how that would look in a church. It would look kind of different, wouldn't it? If we just had by the doors all these offering baskets. That's what it was like in the temple. And as Jesus looks on and takes his seat and begins to watch this lady, he sees something that is truly beautiful. He sees a wonderful and compelling display of devotion that wonderfully pleases him, that catches his eye. And it's something for us as believers that quite clearly he wants us to learn from. So I have two points this morning. Two points that will help us understand what this all means. Two points that will help us understand, I believe, what the Savior wants to teach us here. 
but really just one hope. And it's that our hearts would be stirred afresh this morning to be totally devoted to the Lord. To be all in for him in all of life. Just like this widow. That we may learn from her and understand her and be like her in the way she lived her life too. So two points this morning, both designed to help us understand what it is that we're to learn from this lesson wonderfully given to us by Jesus himself. And here's the first, first point. Giving that pleases the Savior is worship from the heart. It's profound, but it's really important. See, we're all paying taxes right now, right? We talk to the ATO and we pay our India taxes. You don't have to feel any emotion in that at all. You just pay it. Not so tithes and offerings. Faithfully given, they are worship from the heart. And that's what we see and learn from this text. See, our hearts, as we've already discussed in the Gospel of Luke, are the real you. When we say our hearts, we're talking about the inner person, the essential core of who we are. And what's clear in the Bible is that God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to be lived in worship to him. He wants him to be the apple of our eye. He wants the real you to be all in for the real him. He wants us to worship him as Lord and Savior. And there's no doubt that includes singing. That's what we've done so beautifully this morning already, singing praises to God. We can't avoid that for those of you that think, I don't like singing. Well, start liking it. Because the Bible commands us, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to God, sing praises. Four times in one verse. That's just one verse. You know, we are commanded to enjoy singing and sing to the Lord. Why? Because he's worthy of praise. But it's not like singing stops and worship stops. Worship carries on. Worship is indeed all of life. In Romans 12 verse 1, we read, Therefore I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Isn't that wonderful? doesn't mention singing once in that particular verse. The whole premise is your whole life is worship to the Lord. Offer your time, your energy, your resources, your home, your monies. Let it all be worship to him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He wants it to be worship from the heart because it's not duty. It is delight and it is pointed to Jesus as the creator of all and as the sustainer of all and as the Lord of all. Worship is indeed all of life. And what is true about worship is what we really worship will come out in all of life. You cannot hide as a human being what you worship. It will come out. It will be seen. It will be seen by what you do with your time, what you do with your resources, what you do with your money, what you talk about all the time. That is what you really worship. And what you see in terms of worship that is coming from the heart are three very different examples in this one same text. They're examples and illustrations of worship, revealing what we really worship. Let me explain. First up, we have the scribes. Who did the scribes worship? Themselves. Look again at verses 45 through 47. 
And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. They will receive the greater condemnation because these scribes claim to be worshiping God, but actually what they're worshiping is themselves all the time. They are walking around with a look at me attitude. Aren't I amazing? That is their life. They want the praises of men. You see that in all the things that were displayed there. He says that they, they like to walk around in long robes. How delightful. That's really different to what Jews tended to wear. The traditional dress of the day was very colorful for a Jew. And so they would be very colorful, just like us are today. And yet there would be these few dudes that would be there in long white robes. That's really peculiar. But they did it because they wanted to show off. Look at me. Aren't I special? I'm really clever. I'm really holy. Hybert in his commentary says these robes would be all about their piety and scholarship. So they would. They are look-at-me outfits all the time that they are parading as they spend time with people. They like to be greeted in the marketplace. This greeting isn't just a, hey, what's up, or how you going? No, they wanted to people rise to the feet and ideally bow their heads a little bit and say, welcome, Father, welcome, Rabbi, aren't you amazing? You are amazing in every way. That's what they wanted all the time. They loved to be greeted wherever they were. When they sat in the synagogues, they wanted the best seats in the house. The best seats in the house weren't here facing this way. The best seats in the house are here facing this way. (laughs) Hello. Yes, I went my way here. I'm very clever, very holy, aren't I special? I'll just sit here while you sing. That's the best seats in the house. And that's what they did. They would sit in the synagogue with their back to the Torah and they would look out at the people and make sure the people are looking at them. When it came to feasts, as Brendan said last week, they used to set up in a horseshoe. That would be kind of traditional for Jews. And the host of the meal would sit right in the middle. Where did the scribes want to sit? At the right and at the left. I want everybody to know we are special. We are very special. Very holy, very nice, very kind. We always have special places at the feast. They would devour widows' houses. The Sadducees are actually quite wealthy. The scribes, not so much. And so scribes, it varied a great deal. And so the only way they could raise money was by basically being a crook to different people at different times to have people give in different ways to support what they are about. And for a pretense, they made long prayers. See, long prayers aren't a problem in and of itself. Jesus himself would often pray all night. The problem is these guys are praying with like this. Check it out whether people are actually noticing how good my prayer is because it's very, very long. And it's pretty impressive. Have you noticed how impressive I am? You know, this is the way they're praying. It's just long and lengthy and verbose because they want people to go, you are amazing in every way. At which point they would go, yes, I am. You're exactly right. These scribes, the point of this text is to help us understand these scribes worshipped themselves. What is going on in their heart is they loved themselves. They are their favorite subject. And you can't hold it back. It becomes evident to all. And these scribes showed it off in abundance that they worshipped themselves. Well, then comes the second group, namely the rich. And in truth, they didn't fare much better. It says this in verse 1. 
Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. See, these guys didn't fare much better because although they could well be also giving to the Lord, it is at best with a mixed motive. You see this in the way this description is talked about in all the other Gospels. See, let me explain. The rich would be easily noticeable by their dress. They would be the best dressed people in the town or in the city. And when they came to give to the Lord, they would arrive, not just quietly putting it in, no, no. They would come with an entourage. And they would have people walking with them. Make way! Giving time! Make way! They're coming through. This, these rich people would be carrying boxes that they're going to give away. These aren't boxes with $100 bills. No, they wanted to find one two-cent pieces so this thing can go ching, 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 ching. And everybody's looking. Man, you must be loaded. Yes, I know. But I'm very generous, you know. It's like when you see these big shows and people are being super generous with something so they have the largest check with the picture of my face in it. What's that all about? That's about you knowing I'm being generous and I'm being generous. You know, what's that about? That's what's happening here with these rich people. They don't mind giving, but they want everybody to notice. It's common in tradition at this time, or it's at least spoken about, that often if people gave really big gifts, the different scribes would come out and they'd actually announce, big gift, big gift, everybody, Josh Taylor. A hundred dollars. You know, that, this is what was taking place here. Everything was going on. I'm going to pick on him because he's my son. It's easier. But that's what used to take place at this time. What is that worshipping? Well, it ain't really God, is it? Again, it's myself. I want everybody to notice. Because I want you to think good of me. So the scribes, it ain't going well. They worship themselves from the heart. The rich, it ain't going well. They worship themselves from the heart. At best, it was mixed. But then the third individual comes along. A poor widow. And what a different example she gave. Look with me at verses 2 to 3. It says, And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Their example has been one of drawing attention to themselves. But not this poor widow. She would have no doubt been stood out in the crowd like the rich that would have been clearly evident because of their clothes. This poor widow would have been clearly evident because of her clothes. She would have been in rags and tatters. Would have been obvious to everybody. She's a widow. She lives on the street. She's a homeless person. And so she comes in and she puts two small copper coins into the offering. They're literally called leptas. They're like leaves. They're so small. They're worth one-eighth of a cent. They're the type of money that if we go to Coles and there's something on the floor, you definitely wouldn't bother trying to pick it up. It's a tiny, tiny amount. But for her... It's all that she has to live on. And so she quietly makes her way to the temple treasury and she takes out of her pocket everything she has to live on and she puts it in. No fanfare. No announcement. But the savior of the world is looking on and he wonderfully delights in what she does. Why? 
Well, because for her, this giving is worship. This is coming from a lady who says, I trust you and I love you. And the greatest treasure in my life is you, Lord. And so I'm quietly coming with all I have. And you can take it all. The scribes worshipped themselves. The rich loved people to worship them, but not so this poor widow. Her worship was the Lord. She quietly and faithfully and sacrificially gave because the apple of her high was God himself. And so this was worship to her. Kent Hughes says it this way in his commentary. He says, The Passover crowd had been ooing and ahhing over the magnificence of the rich, and yet Jesus had remained unmoved. But when the widow passed by and gave, though he sat still, he was surely inwardly on his feet clapping. For she was a rare flower in a desert of genuine devotion, and her beauty made his heart rejoice. Isn't it beautiful? This poor widow made his heart rejoice in this moment because he knew this is an act of love from her, an act of adoration from her. This is worship from her. J.A. Bengal, the 18th century commentator, says it this way. He said, she gave both of her coins, one of which she might have retained, but she gave everything because she was silently saying to God, I love you. Here's my heart and my life. It's not much, but it's all I have. And you can have it all. Isn't it beautiful? This was love from this poor widow. This was a woman who loved the Lord, who loved God, who entrusted her life to the Lord. In the Old Testament, then what this means is you gave to the temple. You would go to the temple and you would give at a weekly or a monthly level, whatever it be, to the temple. In the New Testament, that temple became the local church. A place not made up with bricks that we stand and look at, but bricks that are people. Living stones, people from different tribes and languages and nations that come into the context of a local church with pastors. She gave to the temple. Today we give to the church. But as she gave to her church, her temple, she did it with a smile on her face because for her this was worship. Oh my friends, what a compelling example she is, don't you think? And what we learn from her is that giving that pleases the Savior is worship from the heart. It's not just paying a bill or doing our duty. It's way more than that. It's saying, Lord, I love you. And I recognize everything that I have is yours. And so I'm honored to give back to you. Because you're worthy of it all. My friends, as you think about this then for your life, just have two questions that I want you to consider over lunch today or over the week ahead that I want you to think through before the Lord. Here's the first. What does your giving say about your heart? See, maybe for some of you, you're thinking, uh, I don't think it has anything to do with my heart. Yes, it does. Jesus himself says it does. In Luke chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your giving directly affects where your heart is at. You can't say, it has nothing to do with my heart. It has everything to do with your heart. Your giving speaks louder than any words. It speaks of your heart. 
of where you're at with the Lord, where your love for him is at, where your worship for him is at. Listen, what does your giving say about your heart? And one of the things I want to encourage you to think about is, what is your heart? See, sometimes, as I said at the start, I think we can wrongly think of our heart as some venerable old grandmother that whenever we chat to her about giving, she says, yes, you should give it all. Just trust the Lord and give it all. Anybody experience that? Never. Because when we address our hearts, it's not the venerable old grandmother in there, is it? It's Vinnie, the used car salesman in there, that has a few wise words for us. Because Vinnie wants to let you know, you gave like last year. Do you remember? You gave last year. You gave very faithfully last year and you went out with it without a lot last year because you gave faithfully. This year, it's a time to take some time off. You've got a house deposit to pay for. You've got a holiday to pay for. Maybe you've got a wedding to pay for. Who knows? There's a whole list of things that can start to come into our minds of things that we've just got to do prior to being faithful again to the Lord. And Vinny wants to recommend to you, you are spot on. This is the wisest thing to do with your money, all for the glory of God. That's the way Vinny talks to us. And that's why, quite literally, we have to take this word and we have to watch, wash Vinny with the word. Because when we look at God's word, and when we examine God's word, we find out something different to what often our heart tells us. Because when we look at God's word, we're reminded as we're washed with the word that, listen, everything that I actually have isn't mine, it's the Lord's. It's his. I just stewarded for him. It's not mine to keep. It would be like a postman, you know, starting to go through our post every week and deciding which bits he's going to keep for himself. You don't do that. He just gives it to you because he understands this isn't mine. It's the same with our money. We need to understand as we examine scripture, it's the Lord's. And the Lord tells us, listen, don't store for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he talks to us then, explaining to us, listen, when you give it away like this, when you invest in the kingdom of God, you're not just divesting in a way that you will never get it back. One day you will get it back in the heavenly realms and it will be far greater than you could have ever imagined. And then when we examine scripture likewise, you realize that it wasn't just this poor widow that has a savior sitting opposite the temple treasury. It's all of us. No one knows what you give, humanly speaking. Jesus knows exactly what you give, divinely speaking. And he's paying careful attention for what you're doing with the money he has entrusted to you. And he's doing it because he wants to see what can be credited to your account on that last day. For all of us, then, we have an opportunity to do something each and every week that God says, I love that. That brings me pleasure. So, my friends, I want to ask you, what does your giving say about your heart? And if maybe it says that my heart isn't that into the Lord right now, I want to recommend you start to address your heart with the truth of scripture. Reminding yourself of the truths. This is not mine to keep. I want to store treasures in heaven. My life isn't about this dot just here on earth. It's about the line of eternity, the millennia to come. I want to live for that day, not this day. There's a time where we have to address our heart, isn't it? And in full disclosure, for me, that's at least sort of every few months. I need to address my heart particularly in Sydney where everything is so wealthy. 
Remind them, this is not mine. This is yours. This is for that day, not this day. What does your giving say about your heart? And then number two, just by way of application question, how are you going in thinking about and processing your regular giving? How are you going in thinking about and processing your regular giving? You see, each and every week we have the opportunity to give, don't we? In the olden days, which weren't that long ago, but they certainly seem older, we used to pass the offering basket around. Do you remember that? And we stopped doing that for a few reasons. One reason is I think it makes like visitors feel very awkward. Second reason is most people now give by credit card or online. So people just think, oh, this church, I don't know how it operates. We get $3 a week. So, you know, there's a reason why we don't tend to do it. But the downside of not doing it is I think we can so easily forget that this is worship to the Lord. This is part of our singing, part of our experience. And so I want to encourage you, as you think about how you're thinking about and processing your regular giving, I'm, I'm aware that for many of you, you give online, and that's great. But I want to encourage you, don't just do it like a tax. But each and every month, take the time to pray and say, Lord, that is an illustration of how you've provided for me. Oh, Lord, I thank you, and I give this as worship to you. And then press enter on the computer and it goes. But think through in your mind how you can make it worship. Because it is worship. It's worship from the heart. This lady modeled that oh so wonderfully well. And then she modeled something else just to conclude our, conclude our time. Number two, the second thing she teaches us is that giving that pleases the Savior is trust in him completely. She trusts him. Look with me at verses three and four. Says, and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. This lady comes up and she hasn't got much. It'd be the type of money that we probably wouldn't even pick up off the floor, but for her, it's all that she had. And as she gives it then to the Lord, she isn't just saying, Lord, I love you. She's also saying, and Lord, I trust you. You will care for me. I commit myself to your providential care. You know, and I ask you, if this lady was actually in our church, she was in Sovereign Grace Church, and she comes in on a Sunday morning with her two coins and just communicates to you, or you become aware of it somehow, hey, this morning, I'm going to give both of them. It's all I have. How would you counsel her? What would you say to her? See, at this time in Scripture, there is no welfare state. She can't get a Centrelink after the meeting. There's nothing coming through. She's a widow, so she has no family to care for her. She is on the street. She is in a profoundly vulnerable position. No health care, no one looking after her, nowhere naturally to just go buy food if she gives away everything she has. How would you have counseled her? I reckon the vast majority of us, including me, would have said, oh, listen, you are so kind. Thank you so much. But keep it in your little hands. If you really have to, maybe give one. But at least keep one because you've got to like live this week, you know. I think many of us might have counseled her not to do it. But not so with the Savior. As he watches her do it, he is 
totally delighted with her. Because he understands for this lady, this isn't just worship. This is faith. This is a woman that's saying, Lord, I trust you. I commit my life to your providential care. I believe you will provide for me. I believe you will watch over me. I believe you will feed me. Lord, all that the world has is ultimately yours. You will care for me. So Lord, this is an illustration of trust. And then it goes. It's beautiful. This is a woman who really trusts the Lord with all that she has. Jesus has already talked about this in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, he exhorts us to to give our money to him, to trust him, to give generously and sacrificially and faithfully to the working of his work. And he knows that's going to be a challenge on our hearts. And so this is what he says in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 and 28. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, then how much more will he clothe you? As this woman walks up to the offering with her two mites, what she's doing in this moment is effectively saying, I believe that. I trust you. You will clothe me. You will care for me. You will feed me. And so I worship you with my giving. My friends, what a wonderful and compelling example of devotion she is, don't you think? She's just all in. She's so amazing in the way she lives her life, free and giving. as worship to the Lord and as an expression of trust in the Lord. Listen, maybe you're here today and you really are someone who is faithfully and sacrificially and generously giving to the Lord in worship and trust of the Lord. Maybe as you hear that description, you can honestly say, hey, I think that is me. And I think it is many of you. And I want you to know, listen, as you give faithfully and sacrificially and generously in worship and trust towards the Lord, listen, thank you so much for the way you are giving. This church wouldn't exist if it wasn't for your faithful and, and sacrificial and generous giving. I thank God for the way you give. You are an example in my mind, and I talk about you often. You are an example of generosity of hearts that are understanding. We are rich people as biblically defined. So we want to be rich towards God. We understand we've been blessed by God to be a blessing to others. And we want to do that. We want to own that and take on that responsibility. And many of you do. So listen, if you are giving faithfully and sacrificially and generously, thank you so much for doing that. And I pray that what you receive from today's text is a fresh understanding that as the Savior is looking on at you, he is pleased. 
And one day when you see the Savior, he won't be sitting opposite the treasury. He'll be ready to receive you into eternal glory with the words, well done. Because not a moment of your giving has not been noticed by him. But maybe some of you are here today and you don't give. Or you do give, but the amount you give in proportion to what you receive is in reality far from faithful or sacrificial or generous. You wouldn't like to include those words in what you give, given the all that you've been given by the Lord. In fact, if somebody was to sit down with your finances and looked at all what the Lord has provided for you and what you then give to him, you'd be quite embarrassed by that. Because the words sacrificial and faithful and generous probably wouldn't be words that relate to that. Well, my friends, if that is honestly you, I sincerely pray then that this poor widow's example would bring about much grace-motivated change in your life from this day forward. Because everything we have isn't ours. It's the Lord. One day he's coming back. And he's going to be turning, looking to what he can credit to your account. And he tells us point blank in scripture, don't store up yourselves treasures here on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And so my friends, if you're not giving faithfully and sacrificially and generously to the Lord, I I want to encourage you, would grace motivated change then commence today? Grace motivated. Because you need to understand your salvation is not based on this reality. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then in that very moment we are saved. What we give doesn't add to our salvation. But we do want it to be grace motivated. Because we only get one chance in this. We're living in this dark and eternity will come sooner than we think. So may we live for that day. May we be motivated. My friends, what we have here is a wonderful and compelling display of devotion that pleases the Savior. A woman who gives from her heart in worship and a woman that says, I trust you. May we be like her. And as the Savior looks on, may he be pleased with us as well. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that you have included this wonderful illustration of passionate devotion to you right here in this chapter. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us guessing as what we can do to please you. You make it crystal clear in your word what we can do. Lord, even as you Pend this to us. You are on your way to Calvary. Where you who is rich would become poor for us. So that we may become rich in you. Oh Father, I thank you that we are indeed saved by grace alone through faith alone. But Lord, we don't want to continue our lives just with faith. We want it to be real and therefore never be alone. We want to be all in for you. Like this widow was. So, Lord, would you help us to think this message through? Would you help us to apply this message? 
And would it be worship to you then as we give? An act of trust. Lord, even in this, we're aware that we need you. We can't do this by ourselves. Our hearts get so pulled into the world so quickly. So Holy Spirit, would you come now into our hearts afresh and help us? You are our Lord and our rock and our redeemer. We so need you, even in this. So that all our days, pray glory to your name. Help us, Lord. Amen. Stand and sing those words now.